from the tooth of our hearts to yours, this is the Awesome Cast. Welcome back. It's 2022, the year of our Lord, 2022, and this is the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. I'm Basil. I'm Kevin. I'm Dylan. And I'm Doug. And that is us. Finally recording our big episode that we were going to record in December, but man, planning things can be hard, especially during the holidays. And just gestures broadly at everything. Yeah, (laughs) gestures at the world right now. (laughs) I mean, it's not as bad as it was. I mean, fire's slowly dying out. It's not being put out particularly fast, but, you know, it's running out of fuel. Uh, I mean, uh, I want to announce that speaking generally. Even then, like... (laughs) I think the other day they announced like we've now we've now topped the previous record single set of deaths of COVID in a day. We just beat that record. We did. Yeah. So yeah. no, things aren't getting better. They're no. they like, uh, getting worse we're... again. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess the world is still on fire. I wasn't but, trying to say it wasn't still on fire, just that I thought the blaze was getting a little bit dimmer. Still less it's on fire. Then we just changed what kind of fuel we were using. It's a different <laughs> fire now. <laughs> it's real complicated, and I'm not going to repeat all of my productive doom scrolling to everyone. <laughs> that, that, that's fine. That's fine. No, yeah. the, what I want to start us off with is, so this was the episode designed to be a part of the all well can't use that name anymore the agc blogs uh secret santa project where lots of people uh put their names in the hat the hat gets you know sh- you know shook around a good bit and everyone gets to pick other people's animes they should watch and experience and then they have to blog about it or podcast about it or or what have you and Vinny, who is one of the folks that does the agc podcast was one of the few folks that actually commented on my call for questions about our topic but his comments were first it is well known i take the most expansive view of christmas possible when i point out this is a late for christmas episode and that's fine but he also mentioned that january 2nd is the feast of of the presentation or crepe day in france and so he had asked me earlier what kind of crepe he should make for crepe day to which I responded based off things our friends Nico and Char are talking about, a Nashville hot chicken crepe. So I want to ask y'all, what other crepes should Vinny try to make? Matcha and strawberry. I barely know what a crepe is. It's like a very <laughs> Never mind thin what you can put pancake. in one. <laughs> and it's like, usually. The answer I... is anything other than matcha and strawberry, it's incorrect. <laughs> I mean, I don't. 
I don't know the last time I actually ate a crepe. I'm pretty sure I have had one somewhere. I think of them as being like something you put sweet stuff in, like Nutella or chocolate or whatever. They can be savory. There is such thing as a savory crepe. Uh, I think most people are familiar with them being sweet, though. Yeah, like I can't. I can't imagine Nashville hot chicken crepe is like the extreme version of savory. Like you're you're not even pretending you're anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, for example, I remember this a few years back, but one of the times we were hopping on a plane back when I felt okay doing that. Going to one of the Final Fantasy fan fests, I got a Caesar salad crepe, and that was very good. So, yeah, that sounds pretty good. If you want like a savory crepe, a Caesar salad crepe is actually a pretty darn good. It had like some chicken in it too. It was it was, and you used to use the crepe as like a wrap, and it's just a slightly sweet wrap. It's it's pretty great to have a crepe. Other great things you could do is join our Discord. We've got that. You can find it on our website a link to that and you can go and join and we talk about all sorts of things in that place or if you'd like to give us some money check out our patreon and you can actually spend money on us to make kevin eat all sorts of crepes if you want to yeah any crepe you can imagine i might try crepes And, There's no you know, downside to trying crepes. Yeah, yeah, you put enough into our Patreon, and I will have to try crepes. <laughs> <laughs> but I might also attempt crepes of my own free will under the right circumstances, so yeah, take that as you will. Yeah, I bet you would like a, a strawberry matcha crepe. That doesn't sound bad, actually. I like I. That's not one I have a complaint about. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think as long as it's not a Nashville hot chicken crepe, you're probably going to like it. That sounds unsettling. I don't know that I wouldn't like it, but I'm skeptical. <laughs> it, I yeah, mean, it sounds like worse than it is. I could totally see, though, you put in some chicken tenders in a crepe and Kevin probably would still be down for it. I might. I might. But speaking of other things that Kevin might be down with... Let's go to our moments of awesome. It's a moment of awesome. Moments ah! of awesome <laughs> are things like that. <laughs> things that make you go. So, Kevin, what do you have going on that makes you go? Well, <laughs> now I sort of feel bad that my choice is Project Echo on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Just not for the at all barely hidden fact that long, long, long ago, before Project Echo was going to be a movie, it was just going to be another installment in the Cream Lemon Hentai Anthology series in the 80s. <laughs> And then they got too awesome with it, and they realized they'd made something different. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure. I've heard the story different ways from people involved in the project. But, yeah, somehow it just ended up being a movie. Most of the people involved it never worked on something that was movie length. And there's a, a lot of people who worked on the movie who are totally uncredited. But, um... <laughs> um but... 
this is def is an anime classic from 1985. It is, you know, a lot of people's, you know, if you were watching the Sci-Fi Channel at the right period in life, this might have been how you first found anime. <laughs> and it is, uh, as best I can describe, well, as someone on the internet, not me, described it, it's what if Superman and Wonder Woman's himbo lesbian daughter fought Tony Stark's lesbian daughter for the hand of a lesbian space princess. Beautiful. Comedy and it's and better suits. than that. And it's better than that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's one of those things. I, I kind of hope we do a full podcast episode on this at some point. It would be lovely because there is so much story to just how there ended up being a Blu-ray. Like, this is one of the things where the masters had vanished from the face of the earth kind of deals. But they found but not them. for a good reason. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they vanished, but not really. Uh, it, no, it's it's kind of crazy how the, the story of this Blu-ray being produced is almost as good as the actual Blu-ray itself. <laughs> but uh, it is a lovely humorous satirical parody anime that if it's your an early anime you see it's hilarious but the more anime you saw you've seen that was made before 1985 the more jokes you realize that it has about anime in it <laughs> uh but it is it is all it well, is a fun wacky adventure hmm? it's my understanding that the names themselves are a are are, are, are script writing jokes Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it. Well, one Project Echo. Like, well about it. Yeah, Project Echo. The title itself is kind of a reference to the Jackie Chan movie Project A, as well as that. Like you know, if you're just sometimes if you're reporting a news story and you don't want to use a name, or you're doing a rough draft of your script and you haven't assigned names to characters, you might have Girl A, Girl B, Girl C. But in Japanese, it'd be Echo, Biko, Seiko. <laughs> yeah. It's like. You know, that just happens to be their actual names, both because they left it alone and because it was just funnier that way. Uh, but just, you know, normal girls go into school and, and some stuff happens. It looks the best it's ever looked and special features are ridiculous. It's got two commentary tracks, loads of making of stuff, huge numbers of art galleries including elusive prototype version of the characters, one of which has a version of Seiko that looked like a real human teenager, not a strange mutant Muppet like she actually does. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like I, I personally, both the, uh, the lead voice actress commentary track and the animation director commentary track are highly educational in completely different ways, but... <laughs> But that's how I now know that Hideaki Anno worked on Project Aiko uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> he just came in and finished some of their stuff one day and walked off. Because <laughs> that's the kind of man he is. Yeah. Just walks in when you're not looking and like a, like a wandering, you know, gunslinger yeah. comes in, cleans out the town of all its villains and just walks <laughs> off of tumbleweeds. Like, that's that's for let right me there. animation direct pop chaser. See ya, partner. And he was gone. <laughs> Alright, Dylan. What you got? Uh, No Man's Sky. 
I got this for my birthday back in October. Played it quite a bit. It's it's kind of in the Minecraft genre where you're a traveler going around between different planets, gathering resources, building bases, things like that. So it's just just kind of a pretty calm exploration crafting game. I will say that it kind of peters out more than Minecraft does. Like you get to a point where you're no longer getting regular upgrades. And, and I just hit a point where it was like, I, I don't want to build anything else. And I don't want to follow the story, but just a really good, good exploration game. I had no idea what it was about. For, for years, I just knew it as the game that was just terrible or whatever, you know, the, <laughs> oh, no. the meme. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I remember when it came out, I was really looking forward to it because I was expecting it to be uh, Minecraft in space. I was hoping that it was going to be Minecraft in space. I was all excited about how it was procedurally generated. But then then it, it kind of let me down in a lot of ways. And I've heard that there it's had a lot of patches and a lot of updates since its initial release and that it's a lot better now, but I need to actually go back and play it again. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it, so, it's probably worth playing. It's it, it's not exactly. It doesn't give me the same feeling Minecraft does exactly because like yeah. there's no there's electricity, but it's not quite as complicated as redstone and you know some of the technology just there ends up being a lot of different crafting benches essentially that you have to build. But mm-hmm. uh, man, for just for just warping through space exploring uh it's real good so from a zero to valheim how what's what's your what's your zero to valheim rating oh man um (sighs) i think the thing i hate about this is like what 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 number is valheim I can't pick a midpoint. How am I supposed to pick like a midpoint of a midpoint if I can't? Um, I mean, it's about three, three quarters of the way there, I guess, for me. Like Minecraft and Valheim, I really, really got into. Yes, I really very liked. Good. Yeah, like Minecraft, I really got into a lot of the exploration aspects and things like redstone, like building different contraptions. Valheim, I really got into the exploration and the the strategy. Like, there's a very clear progression of, all right, you and, and the people you're playing with have to go in and beat this boss, so you need to build all the potions, you need to get the right equipment, you know, things like that. And I, I don't think No Man's Sky does either one of those 100%. But it's just a a really good chill game. You've made you've successfully made me want to play it again. <laughs> okay, my job here is done. <laughs> cool. I good guess. job, Dylan. Good job. Good job. <laughs> All right, Doug. You have the floor. Okay. For now, I got three of them. Okay, I'm gonna start with Genshin Impact. My boy is in it right now, so I'm very excited. Everybody needs to go play it. Who is this boy you speak of? <laughs> his his name is Zhongli, and he is he is very good. 
<laughs> Except for when he's not. But even then, he still is. Y yeah, no. Uh, I Genshin Impact is really good. Uh, I do think people should play it. Yay! Uh, but also, Encanto from Disney is very good. I just watched that for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and it really made me want to go get go eat Mexican food. <laughs> Take that as you will. I feel a little bit bad uh, about saying it. They do have some tasty-looking food at a couple points in that movie. I, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I feel like if Charlie was on, that we would be featuring Encanto, Encanto more. He was seemed really excited about it when I announced that we I had actually possibly consider it. hijacking Charlie for an Encanto podcast. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think he'd be he'd be down for that. Like he he really enjoyed it. <laughs> well. It's it's very good, and it touches, like, one of the things that, after I watched it, I got and started looking on is that it apparently deals with the issues associated with a family that is enduring, like, po like multi-generational trauma. And it says that a lot of people are really able to, like, pick out themselves and family members in each of the family members that are presented. And I found that to be exceptionally true, and that also made me really uncomfortable. Because I don't know <laughs> what my family's trauma is, but it's definitely there. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I would now like to talk, as my actual moment of awesome, I would like to talk about this manhwa called Mr. Beta. Mr. Beta. Uh, it is a webtoon. I think it's a webtoon that's actually on the website Webtoons. It's it's uh, written by O Sumaja, and it's a it's a boys' romance novel in a world set with alpha, beta, omega dynamics. Oh boy! <laughs> Do you guys know what alpha, beta, omega dynamics are? Do I have to explain that to you? I feel the super revealing to yes. say yes, I do. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I know what alpha and beta mean, and I, I'm pretty sure the whole study that came from was like, no, that that discredited anyway. What's omega? Yes, but... Okay, so alpha, beta, omega dynamics are the pretense that there is actually like a sub uh, gender to people. There's a sub sex to people's predominant sex. So you're male, but you might be an alpha male, or you might be a beta male, or you might be an omega male. Or, the same thing is true of females. You could be a female alpha, uh, female alphas generally tend to also have dicks, and, <laughs> and it depends on how the author has envisioned, uh, has envisioned this to decide if beta males also have, if, if omega males have vaginas or if they just have butt babies like <laughs> i feel like a... we're talking about something very different now. No, this is a kink thing more or less <laughs> it's, it's more or less a kink thing is, is omega a personality or is it no it's no no these else. aren't personalities not in this, like not in this and omega scenario <laughs> are not personality traits they are like physical functions of of sex of their sexuality like Alpha males are particularly potent and able to, like, 
have babies with just about anything. Same is true for alpha females, just like depending on setting and how the author writes it. Yeah. And mm. omega males are men with penises, but they can also get pregnant. That's when do, you're do like, you yo, bro, you concept. look submissive and breedable. Right. <laughs> I went into this thinking it was something different. And like, yeah, I, no, this is a kink I thing. Have no and I, have, <laughs> I have feelings. I'm revealing <laughs> way too much engaging with this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the thing you need to know about this entire genre, <laughs> this entire genre is that a lot of times it gets written, it gets written sort of, if it's written badly, it can really reinforce uh, the alpha beta thing that you were worried about that's based off the uh, trying to apply that misguided wolf study onto humans. Right. Okay, that's where I thought this was going. I didn't realize genitalia was going to be involved in any way. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it when it's poorly written, it what it serves to do is it serves to kind of reinforce gender roles. Like, it it, it tends to be hackly written as just a way to make, even though these are both, even though these characters are are, are the same sex, they're still different sexes. Well, it's it, it it gets a little bit uncomfortable, or a lot uncomfortable, you know, the subject being what it is. But when it's well written, it ends up making really big commentaries on the on the function of how society perceives gender and and how we view these physical necessities uh and this one definitely falls in the later category uh by focusing on a on a male who is neither an alpha nor an omega as he has fallen in love with his alpha boss and is now trying to seduce him whereas the alpha boss has this thing about how, you know, he's an alpha, everybody expects him to be domineering and 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 all about making them babies when he just wants to have like an actual human connection. It's <laughs> it's it be, it's very good. <laughs> Does that make sense? Have you guys checked out too much to, <laughs> to <laughs> I'm talk still with here. me about this? I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know where to go from the making them babies comment. <laughs> like, Look, it's almost a shame Basil's house is gone because I can so transition this into Mori Bito. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, okay. So the actual, the, the actual, like a better synopsis of of the plot is, um, so our main character, he is a beta male. He he has uh, the the man that he was working for is retired that he was working for as like a laboratory assistant is retiring so he has to get hired uh by some by another professor at his university and he gets recommended to uh this uh to this alpha professor and this alpha professor has a problem in that he his 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 gland is broken so he produces more of his pheromone than he means to like he's not trying to just inundate everybody with his pheromones all the time. He just kind of can't help it. And it looks at the more of the darker side of this. Like, a lot of time, again, when this gets written in a lot of stories, most stories just go, and that makes him super sexy to everybody, because everybody's just all swooned in by his 
uh, alpha male presence, but no, the problem is a lot of people see him as being really aggressive when he's not trying to be. Um, and so it's very fortunate that our beta male, who can't really smell the pheromones of either alphas or omegas, just happens to be very good at being an assistant. And except for the fact that in his spare time, he writes trashy smut romance novels. <laughs> so he has decided, uh, and his trashy smut romance novels don't actually sell all that well. Like, he's kind of just posting, he, he's basically like a bad fanfic.net author. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he's, he, he writes this trashy smut, but nobody reads it and nobody thinks it's good. Uh, but he saw an interview with this one author that he, he really likes and admires, and she says something about how she idolizes k-pop stars and so she basically just writes all of her characters cast slotting in different k-pop stars but then changes the names in like one major fe physical feature and so nobody can tell and that's how she writes her books and so he's decided he's gonna do the same thing and so he uses his boss as the model for the character that he writes and shenanigans ensue you know i i can see you know you you said something about like this can be used for commentary and I can see by taking especially labels that you usually think of as personality and applying stuff like pheromones or whatever, you know, that, you know, are a little more tangible. You can, you can tell more, you can tell stories that have more commentary than you could if that you were just talking about personality traits. Yeah. And so, while this story doesn't go out of its way to directly be, like, specifically a commentary, it's definitely got layers upon layers in that. And that's what I think makes it such a good story. Cool. So, my moment of awesome is Bell, uh, the newest film by Mamoru Hosoda and his studio, uh, Chizu. And Hosoda, it's kind of, he's kind of like... Oh, my brain's now blanking on the other guy's name who did, who did Your Name and Weathering With You and... Yeah, that guy. Um... Should have looked it up. Should have. Makoto Shinkai? Yes. Where they've got ideas and sometimes they'll put out a movie and those ideas are expressed amazingly. There are other times they'll put out those movies with similar ideas and it doesn't quite hit the mark. Bell is one of those movies that absolutely hits the mark. And for boy. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like, I think, for example, Shinkai's Your Name, I think, is his best version of a Shinkai film. And I am torn between whether it's Bell or Summer Wars might be the best Hosoda take on his ideas i from what i understand or from what i've seen they they look honestly like they're kind of similar settings <laughs> there is a lot of summer wars and bell again what i was going to also say was that i really wish mamoru hosoda was the person in charge of making if we're going to make a whatever metaverse <laughs> things i really wish Hosoda was in charge of it being made because he's, he's, far as I can tell, the only person 
that can make it not a terrible trash fire of an idea. Yeah, he's clearly put some thought into making it actually work. Um, and you can see that in the film. So one of the things I liked about this movie, well, first of all, the music is great. <laughs> the music is absolutely fantastic, which is good since it's a very core part of it. But also, so we everybody knows that this is like a take on Beauty and the Beast. You already mentioned that, right? I had not, but continue. Okay. The movie is essentially uh, his take on Beauty and the Beast. And I really liked how the digital environment allowed us to kind of escape this. So the problem with the original story of Beauty and the Beast is it's kind of got, it kind of smacks of Stockholm Syndrome. And that's that's not an element in this story at all. Like, (laughs) because they're all meeting digitally, everybody has the freedom to leave if they, they need to. So nobody's being forced into anything. It's very nice. The way he gets online spaces really makes you feel like he actually gets what online spaces are like right now, like this moment right now. Mm -hmm. And that really his, his you or his online universe is not dissimilar to the spaces that people are already making themselves in things like second life or even like final fantasy 14 where, or even things like people's own discord servers or whatnot, you know, Online little spaces that people have, you know, whittled out for themselves where they can really feel they can be themselves when they don't feel that they can truly be themselves around other people in real life. Yes. And how that can be freeing, but also can come with its own trials and tribulations. Like, he doesn't sugarcoat everything, but it it shows a level of hope and upliftingness that online spaces can give to folks that you I just feel you don't see in a lot of actual interpretations of the metaverse. <laughs> well, I kind of wonder if that's because right now, like you can trace so many problems to online spaces being used for questionable ends. You know, and and so it's it's easier to tell stories about how everything is messed up, and you know, metaverse is is the way it is because it's not being built for something like that. It's being, you know, sold to investors. Basically, you really have to work to go the other way with a story. But yeah, Bell tells a pretty darn good story. I don't want to talk too much about it because I definitely think that once this comes out on Blu-ray or general streaming, I think this could easily be an awesome cast itself. It, I, I do. F- it does have one one problem with its plotline that I think I would happily discuss uh, afterwards. But yeah, mostly I just want people to go see this movie. Yeah, it's 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 quite good. I want and everybody I, to go see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> In a way that you feel safe and comfortable able to be seeing it go see this movie like i really lucked out where it was a practically empty theater when myself and anna went but oh that's so nice (laughs) yeah yeah and this is definitely one of those movies you kind of want to see in a theater it is very bombastic it makes use of 
everything visually. It's pretty stunning. It does a great job of separating, like, the quote IRL stuff looks like your traditional 2D animation, whereas the stuff in the virtual has a much more 3D look to it. So it's all very well separated. And I also just... thought that uh, I noticed a distinct, like, there's more of a Disney influence in the in the digital space and more of an and more and more of an eastern Miyazaki type influence in uh the in the real world and you can really see it particularly in the mouths in the way the hmm. the mouths move which will always probably be funny for me because Hosoda was supposed to be the director for Howl's Moving Castle but he was too nice to <laughs> oh. the animators and therefore <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah yeah no like he apparently he originally was going to be hired just for uh, Ghibli in general and then wasn't then they actually brought him back on to direct Howl's Moving Castle but he wouldn't do it Miyazaki enough for them wow <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted to make his own film and that though they just wanted him to be a Miyazaki and he wouldn't be a Miyazaki so he left and Miyazaki did it like, so that's just interesting. Anyways, we should move on to our actual topic, which has its own Ghibli influences. Moribito guardian. The spirit will be right back. This is the awesome cast. I want to shine. And we're back. We're going to talk about some Moribito. So this was part of the AGC podcast's Secret Santa project. It was originally done by the Reverse Thieves, um, Kate and Allens. They used to do this. And now uh, Vinny and Diego have taken over because they're not doing it right now. But they wanted to make sure that the Secret Santa thing was still going. Where again, everyone puts in their names into hats. Or into a hat. The hat gets, you know, virtually, you know, shook a lot. And they pull out names. And what you have to do is you have to attach some form of list of things that you've already watched. So that way someone can pick something for you that you haven't watched. And so for us, I just threw our index of awesome for things that we have not yet reviewed. And so... What I was not expecting, because honestly, what we did was we just, we, we talked it over with ourselves. We made, we figured out a, a three options as well as three backups. And I sent a list of names. Whereas what we got was its own like essay. <laughs> like delving into things about why, like where... Let me just read this like a little expert from here. It's like, hi to the members of the awesome cast. 
This year it fell to me to pick out anime titles to recommend you for the AGC Secret Santa, and it certainly wasn't an easy one, though not for the reasons why one might assume at first. Normally, of course, you assume the challenge would be finding something that the person you're gifting the recommendation would like. Taste in anime can vary greatly, after all, and it's not just one person I'd be gifting this to in the end, but rather multiple at once. That does sound like a challenge at first, doesn't it? To my own surprise, though, less than half less than half of an hour after browsing through the previous podcast, I already had a pretty good grasp on just what might be a good recommendation. And I'm like, holy crap, you've put way more into thought into telling us what our lists were than, than we ever did. <laughs> yeah. I feel like someone knows us better than any, like, I know any other podcast I listen to, which is, <laughs> that's a weird feeling. Technically, I I think I'm the only one who who's already watched Morbido. I think I think in the list we had a couple that different people had watched. Yeah, mm. I I had watched both of those other two. Um, in fact, one of them is one of my favorite anime that I'm constantly trying to get other people to watch. <laughs> it's, I... it's the best anime that nobody except for me and this guy apparently watched. <laughs> I I am really Gow, happy we but... got to do this one though. As well, we're not supposed to know who it was, but later at the end of the year, AGC did put out the list. And so I clicked on the person's blog and they've got some really insightful stuff on their blog. So I know who it is. Uh, and again, madam, thank you for this. Also, boy, when they picked the name of the hat, like, I don't know if person, if you've actually listened to our podcast yet, but. My God, were they a good fit for us? <laughs> yeah. Like, they were a good fit for us. Also, the one from our list, Chris, or at Go Cuffy, who's also on the Taiga podcast, he chose Odd Taxi and enjoyed it very much. Oh, good. Because Yay. it's Odd Taxi, of course you did. Yeah, I feel like that was our discussion. Like, okay, we, we got number one, Odd Taxi. Everyone agrees on that. It's the best. Let's pick two more. One of the also, ones I recommended was Shinsekai Yori. I think not enough people watched it. And it's the one that got recommended to us. So clearly everybody needs to go watch that anime. <laughs> and we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But right now, the one we are we are reviewing is Morbito, Guardian of the Spirit. And here is what our Secret Santa giftee had to say. One thing I quickly realized while going through the list of podcasts is a lot of the titles covered in the past, especially in the early years of the Awesome Cast, are considered classics by now. Some of them made it really big, like Tengen Top and Gurren Lagann, while some of them have smaller, yet still devoted fan bases. One thing that usually ties these together is a good, coherent story with actual payoffs throughout. It can, but do not solely pander to certain audiences. When I think of an anime like that, Serie no Moribito comes to mind for me, and it did not seem to be a topic of your podcast yet, yet despite airing during your most active years. So I feel like this one has a fair shot. It's a fancy anime of the brew that we aren't getting much more of nowadays after the surge of Isekai, and I feel like an anime with a great core cast, a lot of talented staff behind it, a plot with a lot of love towards the details, a worthy recommendation in my eyes. At 26 episodes, it's the longest of my recommendations and barely within the limit, but it's just too good not to mention it. And, and yeah, that was actually the trick is why this is episodes is so late is because 
it was 26 episodes, but we really wanted to talk about it, so here we are. And I actually had to watch it. <laughs> I technically finished it today, or <laughs> day of recording. Yeah, uh, for me to watch it, uh, Basil came over and we watched it together. Uh, we watched it probably like four to six episodes at a time. And and just finding time to do that was was a little bit difficult, uh, especially with everything else that's been going on. But I'm really glad I watched it. Like it was really good. Yeah, it's yeah. This was this was a good show. Again, Gifty, like you 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 picked you picked a real good. And it, yeah, this is this was on Adult Swim apparently. Yeah. Yes. Like, how did I miss yeah. this anime? Like, yeah, there's that's an, it. it it's kind of an anime that was been floating on my I should really watch this list for a long time because anything I had seen about it seemed to suggest it'd be a show I'd like. It's of subject matter I'm interested in as a general rule, and I just hadn't sat down and watched it for some reason. It's not... It sounds weird. Like, I remember seeing it on Adult Swim as well. It's not a super flashy show, and it wasn't... Like, I remember ads for it, but I don't remember it being, like, the big hot new thing. Yeah. It's just a really solid show. I have to say, I it, it was less action in the show than I was expecting going into it. Yes. It's but the not action really a complaint. There yeah. Is... It's not really a complaint, because what I got was still really good. But I, I just like, oh, this is more about, this is a lot more about daily life in this low magic fantasy world <laughs> it, it, it occurred to me as i was watching it that actually i think that one of my uh one of my friends who i do tabletop D with uh, i think she really likes this anime and i think she has recommended it to me several times and so it becomes even more of a mystery of just how did i not pay any attention to this it's so it's so good and it's got so many things that i just adore about it yeah and Kevin, like you were saying, I really think it has the feel of a fighting anime in places, but like there's really only a few like you've got the the um the soldiers and you've got Balsa and then everyone else is kind of a normal character doing normal things and still being important to the plot. That's one of the things I really like about it cuz I and, and I'll talk about this later i could definitely see a world in which like this gets made as sort of like a bleach style anime if if they really lean into the combat and really decided to do the rest of the novels based on like the summaries of them i've seen so yeah so this what we got is primarily based off the first book and this is a actually a 12-volume series, which only the first volume ever got translated and brought to America. The, it was made, written by uh, Nahoko Uehashi, who is also apparently a professor of ethnology at Kawakurma Gakuken's uh, Women's University, completing a PhD focusing on the, uh, the Yamajiti, an indigenous Australian people. And I boy, feel like that actually... Way explains so much about this anime. <laughs> it does. Like that's that's surprising how much that actually made it into the anime. Like people comment on other people's uh ethnicity kinda all the time. Like there's at least three predominant ones that we can that we can directly see. 
there's also kind of related to that. There's a lot about like how folklore and culture works over long periods of time that, that kind of play into the plot. And it's almost like it's, it's almost the equivalent of like Tolkien being a professor of what linguistics or something. Yeah. 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 And he, he started out making a language. Yeah. This kind of has the same dynamic. This absolutely tracks now that we know that. I made up a culture, then wrote a book around it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I just thought it was just amazing world building, and it still is amazing world building. It just explains a little bit better how how the author was able to come up with such amazing world building. They've literally been studying it enough that they're a professor of it. Yeah, I I definitely... what makes it good is they use a light touch on a lot of that stuff. They're not, it's not like we're going to introduce something in this folklore over here. That's going to be a perfect mirror that happens down the line. The thing that they introduce in the folklore is a muddled kind of game of telephone version of what you find out happens later. Well, that also kind of heartens like the main thing that I wanted to say about like the thing I keep going back to over and over in my notes is how like this is a fantasy world like it doesn't look like a fantasy world at first when I was first looking at it I was just kind of writing off in my head that it's a it's a it's a Meiji era period piece like it's hearkening back to that fantasy level that to that period of Japan that much like the Renaissance never really existed. But that's not the case at all. Like, just, and it's just through, like, very subtle little things that just kind of quietly clue you in that, wait, this isn't Earth at all. Like, I think the first time I noticed it was when we, was in episode two, when we noticed that there's actually two moons. (laughs) Yeah, that's, what's, what's interesting about that is that introduces you the con to the concept of there being kind of these two planes of existence. Mm-hmm. I don't think that existed. Like I went back, I had a copy of the novel that I never got around to reading. And I don't think, I don't think that's as well known in the novel as it is in the anime. You know, I think that's something that like the Yaku understand, but the Yagoans yeah. don't. Yeah. Well, I feel like even the anime Outside of our circle of protagonists, that I still don't think most of the people understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that's just one of the things that was common knowledge at one time that's been lost. But well, I you think know, it's, yeah, it's something that you know. One of the other adaptations was a live-action Taiga fantasy drama by the NHK. In other words, it's one of their when they pick like we're going to do a ye old ancient japan series and they chose this even though it is not ye old japan it is a fantasy drama but it it's so close so close yeah they still picked it but and it's so it's so amazing just how subtle it is because like the the world is pop they they're the world is populated with all kinds of different like animals and plants and the the animators are drawing them and they're just subtle enough that you'll see you'll see something like I think it was a frog that I was looking at and it's like I just happen to know that that is not a species of frog that actually exists um 
but it looked perfectly it looked perfectly uh reasonable like it didn't look like some crazy thing that you would think a frog would never look like it still looked like a frog but just you know everything is its own species because it's an entirely different world and occasionally you'd see animals that you realize wait a minute that doesn't exist on earth and i just thought it was such a beautifully like fleshed out thought you know i did a lot of looking at weirdly at clothes that are also kind of but not exactly right for (laughs) like japanese history and I don't know, sort of the regular folks and the sort of almost quasi Heian look of the Imperial family. <laughs> it was... I, I thought the Imperial family, it reminded me a lot of the, the Song Dynasty. Yeah, my brain went to Heian era Japan, but that's when Japan was trying its hardest to be China, so that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just beautiful world building just like from every angle like and of course the animation itself was gorgeous it reminded me at first a lot of ghost in the shell and i commented on that to basil <laughs> and it makes sense like, because it's production ig yeah, yeah. And... why does this look so much like ghost in the shell and yet nothing like ghost in the shell <laughs> well... you're kind of the roughly the right time and same studio <laughs> yeah yeah that's why well uh, this was I was looking at it, and it's production IG, but also it's directed and, quote, written, I mean, it's adapted, by Kenji Kamiyama, and this is the last thing he did, this is the first thing he did after he did Ghost in the Shell, uh, first and second gigs. This is the first thing he did, and it's also the last good thing he did. (laughs) Is there a reason for that, or what? I think he, after after doing his own Ghost in the Shell that was very good, uh, I think he got it up his own butt that he was the thing. And now, for example, uh, after Ghost in the Shell second gig, he did this, Moribito, and it's very, very good. But it's an adaptation. A very good adaptation, but it's very good. Then he did Eden of the East, which started off awesome, then eventually crawled so much up its own butt, it didn't quite work, and now he does crappy CG stuff. I remember yeah. watching Eden of the East, but I do not remember anything about it. Well, oh, he also was co-director with Shinji Aramaki on the crappy CG Ultraman, which, to be fair, the CG is crappy, not the actual show, which is sort of entertaining if you can get past that. Well, he also did, like, the really crappy CG Cyborg 009. Yeah. It's like he, he has decided that, you know, CG will solve all the world's ills, and he is wrong. And I wish we could get him and Shinji Aramaki off the CG train. I I really do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talking about the CG, the CG in this, in this show, I thought was very well, I thought it blended very well, but it still has the hallmarks of being, like, old CG, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, this is when they were using it sparringly, if ever, in in your animation productions. (laughs) And you could well, tell I, it, it was CG. Yeah, I I could see it. I could see it at times, like like I think a lot of times they used it like to make like the fields of wheat swaying back and forth, and I get what they were trying to do. Uh, I get what they were trying to do, and it's a ni- it is a nice blend. But unfortunately, while the two D animation hasn't 
hasn't aged. The the CG has aged and not well. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to use CG, this is a perfectly good example of how to do it. It's it's from the era where they still kind of like had a good idea of how to use CG. It's just unfortunate that this particular CG didn't age well. Does that make any sense? I thought the CG was really done incredibly well for the time. I thought, man, yeah, yeah. they did a much better job blending this with actual 2D animation than they do nowadays. <laughs> right? <laughs> it is, you know, a few exceptions aside, boy, nothing nothing, could ta- nothing these days takes me out of anime faster than really crappy CG. <laughs> well, that's the thing. is That's why I say it doesn't age well, because there's CG now that blends in so well that you don't even realize it's CG. Well, so, when you uh, used it right, think- it does. So I kind of think any time that you sit there and go, well, this is clearly CG, it means it hasn't, it means it wasn't, either wasn't done well, or it didn't age well. And I think in this particular case, it's that they didn't have the technology yet to really blend it. Like, I was noticing things like, they were clearly using, like, animation techniques, but they were doing it, like, for example, like, the water still looked like they were animating 2D water, but they were using 3D to sort of spread the 2D water around and well, I, could, I could tell it was CG, but I felt it was very well done CG. And mm-hmm. you, I'm very, very picky about my CG anime. I am usually the first person to be like, no, bad anime, no CG. <laughs> <laughs> no CG for you. Yeah, But this oh, one, God. by and large, did it right. Also, the music is done by Kenji Kawai and Chef's Kiss. It is good stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And of course, we have the Lark NCL opening theme. You know, that's like that's a flashback in time. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say they were. I remember at cons that was a big name you would hear. Like you'd I think see they a bunch did of a merchandise. Full and Metal stuff. Panic or Full Metal Alchemist full metal rather Alchemist. opening, and yeah. that got them kind of popular with U.S. fans. I heard that song and I thought it was very, very familiar. But then it occurred to me that it probably was familiar because, you know, of the band. I probably actually had heard it before. I just not realized it. I'm surprised that she ever made it to the blacksmith. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, now that's what I think. I think. Now we're getting to spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so we got to jump back a little. Like, I was watching that first episode, and I was like, going, she's never making it to that blacksmith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a point. In the very, very first episode, she's like, that's what she's there for. She's coming to see a blacksmith. She's got to have somebody look at her spear. It's it's seen a lot of work lately, and it might need a repair or replacement. <laughs> <laughs> just She's never making it to that blacksmith. That's going to be an ongoing joke. She's just going to constantly be like, about to get to the blacksmith, and then something happens. So, the funny thing, like, you mentioned an ongoing joke. The funny thing is, this does not feel like the type of show that would have an ongoing joke. Like, it is not... It's not really a comedy. No, it's not a comedy at all. Like, there's no whimsical moments where we go to a different art style there's no like excessive fan service i don't even think there's any fan service at all like the things you would see in a a fantasy anime now especially with isekai 
you do not see at all. But the characters are not completely humorless. And so the characters do, like, crack little jokes at each other. It's not like they're telling jokes. It's just like like a human being would, you know? Yes. Sometimes the circumstances of life are just too ridiculous not to, you know, smile about it. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a funny show, but it is a show that understands what a sense of humor is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I thought for sure, for sure, she was just never going to make it to that blacksmith. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, you're right. That I, was. I have. I wrote down all these like episode two predictions, and I was correct on exactly none of them. <laughs> what, what were your predictions? I'm actually interested in, in like uh, lining these up. Well. I think I need to save that for spoiler time. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would I'd say so. But well, we can we can start off with spoiler time with that. But I do think we need to talk about you know how awesome Balsa is, who is our main character, who is just the most badass lady with an awesome freaking spear. Like she could, she'd be like the main character of a, a Dragoon in any any other Final Fantasy. <laughs> I actually have the thought of, from a 5th edition D&D standpoint, that she'd probably be a Battlemaster fighter. But that's, uh... She's not the only character I unconsciously assigned to D&D class to, but that's... <laughs> well, I think she would be a badass fighter no matter what she does. She just happens to use a spear. Yeah. I like oh, seeing man. a protagonist with a spear. It's, you know, it's not the usual choice. <laughs> I... I don't think it's a spoiler to say like you you find out that like that's because of who she learned combat from. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so there's you know this harkens back to the author, the original author having like a degree in uh, a degree in, in in cultural studies. It is like a culturally known thing that the Japanese in particular, had kind of a disdain for spears, despite the fact that they used spears a a ton. Uh, It's because it was thought, like, in order to use a sword effectively, you had to have a master blacksmith make the sword, and then you had to be a master of combat in order to wield the sword. Uh, But a spear, pretty much everybody can pick up a spear and figure it out. You know, sharp end goes in that and while that's not necessarily true there is a lot of martial practice to it that is just more or less how like the samurai class of japan felt and you can see that echoed in moribito a little bit where she comes from a completely different area so to her the the spear doesn't have the same connotations that it does for everybody else that she interacts with yeah i feel like there's a spear is kind of a quote-unquote peasant weapon (laughs) Yeah, I think yeah. The, I, f- I feel like they mention like foot soldiers, and there's definitely a class distinction between foot soldiers and you know someone someone with higher rank in the military. And like all the something. I don't know what the guys' proper terms are, but like the little cadre of like imperial assassin agent guys who are like they all have swords. They're all sword guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm also blanking on what they called that group too. If they had a name, I they had they didn't say it very much. 
Well, they, I mean, they were the, they were the, they were the, the shadowy ninja, like, you know, we get the stuff done when people aren't seeing in the shadows. Yeah, My favorite one was the one who had the little bow in his hair. He was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought of them as like black ops samurai is what I Yeah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Because they're in a lot of the show. Like, I don't even know, like, any of their names. But they were kind of in the show a lot. <laughs> they they definitely had names, and I feel like they even got into backstory. I, I believe in... Because I, I looked up the fandom wiki to make notes for this. I believe there actually is, like, a manga about one of them. Like, you could, again, you could imagine if you know parallel universe there's a bleach style version of this that these these are all given more you backstory bleach style what do you mean by that like the show bleach yeah like, i i know the show bleach but what what do you mean when you say bleach style i like is it the power like, fighting is it the my brain is, the is kind of going to the like the the having like these big personalities for, for the different fighters that, you know, you learn the backstory of it's been a while since I watched bleach. Maybe that's the wrong analogy. You say that it's suggested to me a whole bunch of characters, an increasingly growingly large number of characters, all who have their own unique gimmick. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where okay. I'm going. Yes. Unique okay. gimmick. I, unique gimmick. I get what you mean. Now you're, you're talking about, a whole bunch of really detailed characters interacting in like a in like a constantly changing surface. Yeah, like now now we're fighting this guy and we're gonna learn all about this guy and we're gonna have this big back and forth. Like they don't uh, do that. <laughs> it's mainly for spoiler sections, but there's like a flashback episode where I almost feel like the story of Balsa's mentor's life was that <laughs> yeah like if we got to see more point. of it <laughs> that's a really good point yeah uh can we also talk about how they're straight up a ghibli character just like plopped in here um, is the ghibli character i would i would say yes there is the old there's Toragari yes. or Toragai, who is the oh, yeah, old yeah. the old shaman ghibli yeah. lady She's at least a level it. 15 druid. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, she is, like, straight up out of a Ghibli, Ghibli movie for an old woman, but uh, but acts like the antithesis of a Ghibli old woman. I, I love her little rabbit who lives in her hat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's a fantastic character. I like she is our know. initial window into any of the spiritual elements of the story. Yes. Which... Which is kind of different from the novel. Like in the novel, Balsa brings Chagum to Tonda. It's like, oh, well, here's your problem. You know, here, here's what's going on. Whereas the anime kind of strings it out a bit, makes it more of a mystery, and then has the Ghibli char- style character be kind of the, the window into this yeah. other world. Well, like I a like, Ghibli movie. Yeah, I like that because Tonda. Tonda is like they set him up as the doctor, like as in a medical doctor, and they do pretty at least in the anime early on. It's like oh he was being trained as a shaman and he has like 
almost no magical aptitude, so he just focused on the science part. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I like him. I like him so much. Uh, he basically plays the part that would like if our protagonist was a male lead, there would almost certainly be a character exactly like. Oh, what's his name again? Tonda. Yeah, there would ex- almost certainly yeah. be a female equivalent of Tonda. And so it's really rewarding that in this anime, where <laughs> the protagonist is a lady, that she has she has kind of a, 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 ro- a simping romantic interest that hangs off to the side, just, you know, p- pining after her. Yeah. He's been <laughs> patching up her injuries since she was a small child, and he's just never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like he fills that role like perfectly. Like it's it's not like the, it's not. Uh, sometimes sometimes when you have a female lead, you have a man off to the side who, who you know just has to be manly enough. No, no, he's not doing that. He's playing the female, he's playing the female love interest side just as a male character, and it's fantastic. <laughs> But I, I also and he's still like... kind of he's the smart guy on top of that. You know, he's the one who uses deductive reasoning and <laughs> yeah, and he's absolutely not a fighter. Like you see him yeah, no, try no. later in the series, but like him, you understand and... why he runs away in 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 the early part of the series. Yeah, like him and Toya and Saya and some of the other characters who are just definitely not like fighters don't yeah. aren't like the crazy well-trained soldiers like balsa is still have a part to play and so it's not just like it's not just the the absurdly powerful fighter goes off and doesn't need anyone else oh kevin and- was balsa your type because i i seem to have written down here that i was absolutely certain that she would be your type Oh yeah, yeah. No, I love Balsa. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, pretty buff warrior lady. <laughs> Weirdly maternal, yet at the same time, complete badass. <laughs> I, I do like how the character design is clearly she's super hot, but in no way do they ever like put her in anything remotely skimpy barely ever yeah no no she's just like she's in pretty normal clothes and the normal clothes of the setting are pretty covering (laughs) so one thing about this series that i do want to comment on is that it kept putting me to sleep and not in a bad way like in a very good way in a very (laughs) like I was ha- I was just happy watching the story. Oftentimes, Basil had just taken me out to get good food, and so my stomach was full. I was happy. I, you know, you know, Christmas was either coming up or had just been. So I was like getting all cozy in the snuggliest things, and and then watching this movie, not movie, watching this TV series, and it's just a good story. You know, how could I not? just start to get a little bit sleepy here listening to this good story. <laughs> you know, while I, I'm cozy I, and my stomach is full. I did really like the pacing overall because yeah. what it does like it starts you out with this this conflict, this action 
and then it slides into slice of life. You know, mm-hmm. like mom and dad are hanging out in the water mill trying to figure out what they're going to do about, you know, their adopted kid. And then, you know, at some point it it just ramps up again and and um like real well, quick. Yeah, it does. Uh watching this, I'm going to compare it to another anime that I love. So Yuri on Ice, I think watching this anime, it really sunk in how a lot of modern anime are really hurt by the 12 episode model. Yeah. That I think this anime had because it had 24 episodes. Did it have 24 episodes or was it 26? 26. 26. Oh, even better. Because it had 26 episodes, it really had room to breathe. It had room to go, okay, and in this part of the story, this kind of stuff is going on. And and to let us fully feel that. Um, yeah, it fleshes out the world, too, is, is mm-hmm. one of the things I like about it. There's a lot of, like I said, slice of life. You know, there's the episode where um, Saya falls into a coma and we learn about this other alternate plane of existence and we see it for the first time. And the, the interesting thing about that is if you read the novel, none of that's in there. It kind of <laughs> jumps from, like, it kind of jumps from, okay, they figured out what this thing is. They go to, I can't remember the order. Like, they go to Yaku Village. They go hole up for the winter. And what's interesting is, like, I think re- reading the summaries of the novels, I think that middle part pulls a lot from the later novels. Like bits and hmm. pieces and kind of um, like rewrites them into different story elements, well, but different characters in their positions. Compare a great thing to a mediocre thing, but Sword Art Online is like that. Like the first novel is a forgive the term, a speed run through the main plot. But a lot yeah. of the minor character building kind of story bits are actually from a follow-up follow-up novels that had like short story collections in them. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Interesting. And that uh, sort of a... fills in the in-between parts. <laughs> I do need to shuffle us on over to the spoiler section. Okay. But before Sorry. I even get there, we should point out that Balls is on a journey to protect someone. Oh yeah, I was just thinking we hadn't even set up the we premise. <laughs> whose name is Chagum. Ba- Basil had notes, and we ignored them. <laughs> and Chagum is the best good boy, the ever good boy, for all time. <laughs> like, just every moment, like... You're so used to the idea that, like, okay, she's going to have to protect this bratty prince. Except he's not bratty. He was actually genuinely being raised to be a prince. So he's actually very kind and gracious whenever the opportunity is presented to him. Like, he he does initially fuss because he doesn't want to have to leave his mother. But then, like, but then he has, like, this attitude that he has to have a sniff upper lip and be strong for everybody. Like, it's it's really amazing. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's great. He grows. He like, like he doesn't. He never gets bad. He, he he only gets better. And that's I think one of the neat things about the show in general is that everybody is actually yeah. pretty awesome and pretty good. And overall, 
they even only the get guys. better. Yeah, even the bad yeah. guys. Yeah, even the bad, bad guys are actually even pretty the, good. Even the air quotes bad guys have fairly understandable motivations and are just for the most part working with incorrect information. Like, yes. oh, when I saw that pr- that silver-haired pretty boy elf pope, I was like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh no, he's got the long silver hair, and he's like a priest. Uh, he's terrible. He's just going to be awful. But no, his reasons are actually super reasonable. And if you were in his position, you would do the same thing. And not even, and not even like the oh, he's just an extremist. No, he's not an extremist. He's completely middle of the road, just trying to be a good person. <laughs> They've just got a lot of wrong information. <laughs> oh. Which is, you know, refreshing. It's not like it's the only anime in the world to have mostly likable characters on all sides, but oh, no. it's kind of, lots of refreshing. <laughs> lots of uh lots of anime, lots of good stories uh make it a point that you can identify with the villain as well as the protagonist. Like a lot of really good stories make note of that, but in this particular one, like it's even, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But speaking of wrong information, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with spoilers <laughs> and some of Doug's completely missed calls. <laughs> on the awesome cast. back talking about Moribito, Guardian of the Spirit, where Balsa's taking Chagum, who's the prince of this little kingdom area, and they think, well, if he's a, there's a demon in him, he's gotta die. And his mom's like, no, nah, you ain't killing my baby. Hey, 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 Balsa, will you protect my baby? And Balsa's like, oh, that fits exactly with my my dark backstory. <laughs> I'll it take does. the case. <laughs> that, that is more or less exactly what happens. <laughs> she has eight lives that she has to save in order to compensate for the eight lives that were taken when she protected somebody. Uh, and so Chagums is going to coincidentally be the eighth life if she per- correctly save him. And she's also worked through the comp complicated uh idea that if you're trying to protect people if you're trying to save lives killing people in that process is is kind of counterproductive in the hole. <laughs> yeah yeah so she also basically has vowed not to kill which is makes things harder but <laughs> and i do like that you eventually find out that in fact those eight lives are actually lives that she did not kill that was her protector who had to kill them to protect her. Yes. yes. 
Yes, I, who, I by all reports, were also... basically decent, good people who are also in weird mirrors of her circumstances. People who are caught up on the opposite side of politics, and <laughs> yeah, like, and it, even her mentor doesn't want to take her away from the kingdom until like it's clear things are bad. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to derail us to put us back on track for the important things. Doug's predictions that did not come true. Yes, what yes. did Doug get wrong? I want to know. <laughs> well, for one thing, for one, I predicted that she's never gonna, she's never gonna make it to to that blacksmith. She's gonna keep saying, "Now I have to go to the blacksmith, and something's gonna happen." But no, she does eventually make it to the blacksmith, and that and was it's a, a great huge scene. plot point. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was like, a huge. It's plot. it's it's a storytelling element, and it's also like. Is he gonna is he gonna rat her out to the to the soldiers or is he he gonna protect her? What's gonna happen here? Yeah. Oh, it was so good. I also predicted that Chagum would never be reunited with his mother. I'm glad that I was wrong on that one, but that takes to the very end. <laughs> and that uh, that is rough. The ending is rough and maybe we should talk about that last, but yeah. <laughs> uh I also predicted that, that uh the two kids were going to die. <laughs> you are Once interpreting again, a much darker show than this was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, those, those two helper kids, they're totally going to die. I had that nope. thought, though. I actually had that up thought. being very competent and useful because this yes. is not that kind of show. <laughs> and that's, that's really it. It's just really just between like the she's never going to make it to the blacksmith and the and, and what's, uh, he's never going to see his mom again that I was. And what's interesting is that they do, you know, for the first, you know, decent chunk of the show, they do keep going back to the spear and you see it more and more damage. And she could go like, I really need to get to that blacksmith, y'all. I really <laughs> do. So it was really lending credence to maybe we'll not get to that. Black- then, then, all right, we're going to the blacksmith and we can't wait any longer. They're like, oh, hey, it's the blacksmith. Cool. I also have written down in episode 11, don't fuck your sister. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Toya I don't remember Saya what was together. going on. What's that? That's got to be when Toya and Saya get together. Because, like, she she gets put into an arranged marriage. She's depressed about it. She confess, confesses her feelings to Toya. And they're like, like oh, I guess I guess I never thought of it like that. Okay, that's it's that episode. Okay, that's the only Which, thing I can think of that kind of matches up. <laughs> I feel like that's the show's version of romance, where it's like, oh yeah, we're we're just really good friends. It's fine. Yeah, what th- this works? Why not? I mean, like, that's how Balsa and work. <laughs> I feel that's another case of I was clearly going into this show with anxieties, <laughs> and. This show it wants to make you feel good. This yeah, this show did not meet those anxieties. Like this show was much more wholesome than I had anticipated, and I'm very relieved for it. Well, how often do you have a show with an evil like secret society of, of priests that's hiding the actual truth of what actually happened? Go, oh, we were hiding the truth of what actually happened. You know, that's not good, y'all. 
We had yeah, been hiding we, the we truth for so long. We, we forgot we were hiding the truth. And yeah, most like, importantly, we forgot we were supposed to reveal the truth when this came back around again because it was going to be important. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, that feels like how folklore would really work. It's not that yeah. someone's covering up the truth. It's just it's that the first Mikado finds it really easy to tell this story that says, hey, I'm a god. I yeah. killed this monster. And... And the rest that of the justifies like, me ruling all of you. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's so much work to translate all this work. Let's just let's just go with that. That's easy. yeah. I really like it's near the end of the show when the like the the one our likable character in the secret priest organization and you know the old lady sit down and like actually start comparing notes <laughs> every because... character in this show is likable what are you talking about that's not yeah. a good description well the one who's kind of our <laughs> right. mouthpiece of the the priests yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, like our, our they both have family. yeah they both have big chunks of what's going on and they also have big chunks of misinformation and it's when yes. they start, you know, actually and sitting down and talking to each other. And also, chunks of no information. Yeah. In yeah. addition they, they, to misinformation, they've got chunks of no information, so it's really hard to tell. And and I think this, it's it's kind of fascinating the way they set that up because I think, especially in American movies, we're kind of used to like the person who's from this other ethnic group. They have all the answers, and their their tradition is preserved a hundred percent. Where this is yeah. very much like, oh, we've both thrown away pieces of our tradition. Yeah. We got in this case, like one group together. wrote everything down, but they also wrote a lot of it to serve their own political interests. Then you yeah. got the other group who knows what the story is, but it's they have an entirely an oral storytelling tradition that has largely died out yeah <laughs> and so the what they've got like, is spotty yeah <laughs> like their information is probably accurate but it's really spotty <laughs> and and neither group is trying to cover this stuff up it's just like that's how it developed it's been a hundred well actually i think it's been like 200 years maybe um which is a long time yeah especially so if it's... you're living in in a kind of feudal-esque setting yeah. Yeah. And so it's like our nice good boy, you know, gets a spirit creature egg stuck inside of him. <laughs> and you know, there's a que there's initially a question of is this like something that will doom us all if we let it happen? <laughs> yes. I I did like how how it kind of turned it on its head. Like the the original legend was like well, I slayed the creature and it's it's done, it's fixed. Whereas the legend is actually describing this really complicated ecosystem. And in fact, in the anime, it's even more complicated because they imply that Rurunga is required to remove the egg from from the uh, yeah. Morbido. I'd, I'd mock it, but there's real world animals with weirder life cycles. <laughs> yeah, it does... Yeah, uh, they they don't just imply it; they flat out say it at one point that the that it's basically their understanding that the egg eater has to has to kill the kid, but they don't let it kill the kid. They and, they fortunately yeah. can compensate with a bit of you know sh shamanic cesarean section. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and like I said, I think in the novel it's a little more straightforward. Like Rurunga is just a threat; it's not part of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they kind of stumble in in that like to to stick that landing in the anime. Like they don't have a good idea of how exactly they're going to get this egg out without, you know, Rurunga killing. Oh, and that's that's part of the beauty. That's part of the absolute beauty of this anime. Going back to what we were talking about earlier about how it's not Earth. It's a fantasy setting with its own rules, but it looks so it's so well developed that it appears like Earth adjacent. It, it's like we just took one step to the left in the reality scales, in the reality yes. spectrum. Um, and so that makes it when they start talking about all this magic stuff, it's really questionable about is this is this legitimately true? Is this actual magic? Or is this just primitive people misunderstanding something? Yeah, or or is it it almost feels like there might be magic, but it's much lower magic, like mm-hmm. than than you would expect. And I think the the moment where it really clicked for me where it was where they're they're faking out the soldiers by acting like they're going to conball, mm-hmm. and then Tora guy like summons the big wolf thing to knock them into like to knock mud doll versions of them into this valley. To pretend yeah. they got killed, and you're like, "Wait a minute, this doesn't." Oh, okay. I, you know, like she used magic. She actually used magic. Yeah. Man, yeah. poor one out for that horse too. Yeah, yeah. that was a really Good cool horse. horse. I mean, I feel like it sells the escape attempt because it's like no one would just like sacrifice a horse that awesome. <laughs> I think still, that's the whole point. Poor, yeah, that it poor was just horse. Such an awesome... <laughs> such a good horse you wouldn't sacrifice it but they do that Um, horse is in the opening of every episode (laughs) as is the birds yeah but the birds are actually important (laughs) well so was that horse any other final thoughts before we move on to the few comments we've got just that I couldn't help but this is sad, but relates to an earlier moment of awesome. I couldn't help but occasionally fashing to mpreg fiction. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought of that a little bit too. Thought of that a little bit yeah. too. It's like you know, the, our goodest boy is essentially pregnant for the series, more or less. I mean, it's. I, I hesitate. I I guess I would classify it as more of a parasitic infection. Even though it's not really especially harmful directly, but <laughs> oh, one thing that me and Basil, um, that me and Basil like talked about, but I don't know that we ever got to a full resolution on. To me, it seemed like when the older brother died, when the older brother died, I sort of saw that as like the curse that was intended for the little brother to try to weaken him. Came, you know, came to the older brother by mistake. But given how, like, things played out later, I now doubt that assumption. Like, what what did you guys think of the older brother's death? Uh, I thought it... Overwork is bad. Yeah, yeah, and he just, he had a... He, he was just, like, kind of sickly to begin with. 
in that ah. vague sort of anime, oh, you're dying from something, but we don't want to give it a name so we don't have to, like, have specific symptoms match up. <laughs> well, yeah, again, I... fantasy world, so they could have had yeah. different symptoms. I got, I got the impression that it was kind of, it was just sickness. Like, it's, it's kind of a necessary plot point to send... To, to kind of change the Mikado strategy to yeah. go out and look for Chagun. Because now, Think now shit we gets real him. an entirely yeah. different way if now there is no backup air. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. The couple of other things I want to mention. Um, we talked a little bit about Balsa's mentor and then kind of how that parallels Balsa and Chagun. It, the show does some really interesting things about, you know, Jigoro is is kind of forced to take care of her. He eventually gets used to it um, and kind of finds some happiness in it. But also, like, she comes, she kind of comes to realize that a life of just constantly fighting is not necessarily what she wants and you see you see some tension in trying to pass down both of those ideas to Chagun mm-hmm. um which which is really interesting uh, I, um, I do really like when it, I I don't know it's in the last few episodes but where he's like oh you're like 12 you're practically an adult now we're going to have to get you, like, new adult clothes. And part of that includes Balsa giving him a a dagger from her culture, which is, like, a, which is a thing you give to a young man when he becomes an adult. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's a very, you know, you're kind of my kid now. <laughs> and that's been a thing through the show. But, you know, it's like it, she is definitely seeing her... Uh, it's something that she sees herself as a parent. <laughs> yeah. And he sees as, her as, as as his as his other mom. Yeah. yeah. Like she see, sees herself taking on Jigoro's role, but role, but also like trying to just be a normal parent and not forcing him to go through what she went through. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess the next thing, like the ending, is really really sudden. They bring him back, and they're like, "Well, bye now." He's He's got to yeah. go on and be the uh, crown prince. Which is so how else is that going to go? You know, yeah. yeah. How, how else it... is that going to go? Uh, uh, you know, you know, they they t- they at the very beginning of the show, episode one, they 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 harp in on how absolutely practical she is. You know, the queen offers her this huge bag of of jewels, and she's like, first of all, you're a bitch for even asking me to do this. How can I tell you no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, although she does, I'm not sure how serious she was, or she was just trying to get him to cut through his own apprehension. But she does basically tell him, "If you want me to take you away from here right now, we can go." Yeah. <laughs> At the very and then, end, and then he he has to realize that he kind of has to stand up yeah. and, and do this because this is what he's got to do. Honestly, he's, he's, not... he's the best good boy because he he feels that responsibility, and he is you know he actually probably will make a really good emperor (laughs) yeah um it's just like he's not gonna see any of our main characters again at least in this this timeline 
What makes me kind of sad is more of the novels slash more of the novels getting adapted to the anime didn't make it over here. Because apparently one of the stories, he's either the main character or at least you very, you get to see him more grown up. (laughs) I believe so. And that's why I could say it, I could imagine it being a fighting anime where like there's multiple arcs and like in the second arc, we follow this one character and our other characters are off doing some sort of B plot filler. Um yeah like it's interesting that they don't they match the ending of the first novel pretty well which is they say goodbye to chagum and balsa takes off for Kanball, and you don't get a lot of resolution other than you know uh toya saying well i'm sure i'm sure we'll see him again and tonda going yeah i'll wait for her to come back but <laughs> it also makes sense that that the series has been a very slow burn up to this point. So if it mm-hmm. tried to leap ahead several years and show, you know, all our heroes in a different place, it would feel out of place. All right. So, well, questions that more like comments from our buddy, Bill at WB Foreman 999. I am so excited for this episode. This is one of my favorite series. One well, of my favorite series. Yeah. <laughs> Bill tends to. One of my favorite aspects of the series, I love the music by Kenji Kwai. It has a heavy prevalence of strings. The violins and cello really struck with me. Or really stuck with me. And then he posted a YouTube link, which will probably use make use of that music probably somewhere in this episode. The story also has a little bit of everything from political intrigue with Shuga slash the Star Readers. A Miyazaki-like view on nature, great action set pieces with Balsa, to see the prince go from a sheltered royal to adapting to a new environment. Yeah, yes, and, and like I, I said, agree with those statements. I feel like the anime actually um, broadens that compared to the first novel, right? Where we get more of the Miyazaki feel. Um, you know, all the magical stuff is kind of gated behind that threshold that that the characters have to cross. Um, I, I want to even say that I think this anime takes a more positive uh, spin on things than a Miyazaki film would, because there's not really the contrast of, Oh, nature is good and society and society and technology bad. Um, that a lot of Miyazaki's tend to be filled with, uh, this more just presents kind of like the moving on of society being a neutral thing and nature good. Because yeah. nature is good. Which, again, makes sense. Like, so much of this feels like a very slow burn. Like, mm-hmm. they're not, you know, you're you're not having characters, like, necessarily turn around and, and pull 180s. It's like, okay, well, we, we have to learn this piece of information yeah. that we forgot. We're, you know, we're and I, slowly going to change. I feel funny saying this because this is exactly how real life actually is. But I, I like that it has ethnic groups within a, you know, Asian fantasy world. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments was when they go to what they considered the most backwater of villages where clearly they can get, I think it's the Yaku tribe. And... Yeah. Where they're like, we can get the real deal nature crap here, man. Like we're gonna we're gonna get it from the source. 
All right. Where's your speaker of, uh, of the awesome nature things? And the elders like, uh, okay. So about that. Um, <laughs> do you know what it, what it takes for a person to have to learn all that stuff? How terrible it is. I wasn't going to put someone through that again. Why would we even need it when the Star Readers has everything written down? <laughs> right. Which, again, it's interesting because I think in a lot of American media, the temptation is to would be to portray them as very like one-sided and, you know... I don't know how to put it. Yeah, one-sided. They they go in this box. They don't change, you know. Yeah. And these people were... We don't exactly know what their original culture was, but it's obvious that their culture had changed somewhat with the addition of this other ethnic group that had taken over most of the country. <laughs> we're going to take one more break, and we're going to come back with Awesomes out of Awesomes. This is The Awesome Cast. We are back. Okay, folks, time for our final thoughts and awesomes out of awesomes. Kevin, how many awesomes out of awesomes do you want to give more? I want to give it uh, eight. Those last secret stone tablet things that for some reason were underwater. And I'm not sure if that was deliberate or if they just had like flooding in their secret archive out of awesome. I think they just had <laughs> flooding. I think it's just regular old flooding. Because those were super important, and they were, like, at the bottom under several feet of water. <laughs> I'm just glad they, they still had, held up even being stuck underwater, because water can erode stuff pretty good. Yeah. All right, Dylan? Um, I'm going to give it two full parallel worlds out of awesome. Um, speaking of parallel worlds, didn't you say, I believe, Dylan, you mentioned you, you tried some of the live action series as well? Yes. Um, the first four episodes, I think there's like three seasons now. The first season is four episodes and it's on Amazon Prime, I believe. Is it, it is hmm. definitely a grittier story. Um, hmm. There's a lot more palace intrigue in it. Like, I am tempted to say because it comes in a post Game of Thrones world, that's what we're getting. I have no way to know that that's actually the case. Nice. All right, Doug, how many awesomes? I give it 26 episodes of awesome. I mean, yeah, I really, really was glad that there are so many shows that I feel could really benefit of of the extra episodes. And I believe they, they really spread it out just just right with this one. And the fact that we didn't get a lot of questions means probably means there's a lot of people who uh, are listening to this that can go experience it for the first time themselves. It, it's worth experiencing. Uh, you can actually stream it on High Dive, now a part of AMC. That's weird. Um, <laughs> but Sentai Filmworks has put out the Blu-rays, and I'm going to give it, you know, nine spears out of awesome. Where they're going to keep trying taking this show down, but it will not. It will rise up, and 
It's going to be great and it's going to be awesome. And you should all go watch it. All right. So I think that'll do it for us for this episode, y'all. It was a more beatles a fun time. Once again, uh, thank you for Vinny and Diego for le- letting us participate in the anime Secret Santa. Thank you for our our giftee who gave us these options of three excellent shows to watch. And Morbito was definitely worth talking about and podcasting about. And, and we actually liked your pick so much. We're going to watch the other two eventually too, this year, I think. I've uh, already says, watched them. Well, we get to watch them again. <laughs> we need I know that to sounds do, terrible. We need to do an awesome cast about, about Shin Sekaiori. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, my dog work. agrees. So, this has been the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. Uh, it is edited by Anna, the most best, wonderful, amazing, gorgeous lady ever, who is shaking her head at me right now, but I know I'm right. Our theme song is done by DJ Inabito. You can find his stuff at djinabito.com. You can go to our website, awesomecast.com, where you can find things like our Patreon and our Discord, which you should totally join if nothing else. Or you can leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and say something that you like about us. That'd be amazing. Or now, if you use your cell phone apps, you can actually go into Spotify and give us a five-star rating. Oh, boy. You don't even You don't even have to leave a review. You just rate it. Like, it is the most effortless free thing you could do. Just, just go in there and to the thingy and the app, go to the podcast, and there should be something you can click on, and you like, rate the show. Just give us the five stars. You're done. That's it. That's all you got to do. You can also follow it on on Spotify as well. Um, We also leave our RSS feed out there. Tell friends. Tell the world. The Ossicast. We exist. How great is that? I don't know. Like and subscribe. That's right. Smash those buttons. Smash that like button. (laughs) Smash that button. (laughs) Much like you can smash us on Twitter at AwesomeCast. You can find myself at its basal time. Kevin, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, twitless underscore Kevin. Dylan, where can they find you? At Dylan Wolf. And speaking of finding people places, our buddy John, who is also the greatest living interviewer. You can check out all his interviews as well on the awesome cast and our interview section. But he also does the twitches and along with Dylan and other folks friends of this show where is that dylan that is at these rvg where i think y'all do league of leagues of legends i think i've seen some monster hunter world lately yep that's our our biggest right now we're doing uh, monster hunter world on wednesday nights and league of legends on friday nights so yeah go <laughs> check check them out subscribe do all the things that one should do with the twitches but until next time Catch y'all later. Be awesome. Look, 
I didn't actually in the recording go, if you know any good Alpha Girl ABO stories, forward them to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so wait a minute. This is like a genre. Like not just yes, it is. It has become okay. a genre. I, I'd okay. say it's, it, you should think of it as an alternate interpretation of human biology, but with yes. usually no other science fiction elements.